guys, this is Desi and welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. So today I have a lovely guest and her name is Marley List. Marley is a sacred sensuality coach, a restorative justice advocate. She is a coach, a retreat facilitator, public speaker, published author, and the creator of the Sacred Sensual Wholeness Academy. Some sacred identities that she holds, lover, dancer, Jewish, queer, creatress, Sagittarius, human having a fun AF time being alive. Through her coaching work, she has helped women all over the world to reclaim their self-love, sexual, and sensual empowerment. She has been featured in Forbes, Huff Post, BuzzFeed, Mel Robbins Show, and more. She has made history in the justice system when her sexual assault case became the first in North America, excuse me, to conclude with restorative justice. This means that she fought for her assailant to go to therapy, and then they eventually met in an eight-hour circle, proceeding to criminal trial. Since then, she's done things like connect with survivors every day, sit on panels for government officials, consult for the U.S. military, deliver keynotes, and so much more. Her background and and training is anti-oppressive social work, trauma-informed yoga, somatic sex education, professional dance, and women's coach certification. Oh my goodness, that is a list of things. So sorry if I messed that up a little bit. That's just so much, but it's, I mean, it's amazing. I love what you do. Like I came across Marley on Instagram. We actually were introduced by our friend, Sarah, who brought us together. And I just wanted to bring Marley on. She's a survivor and the whole restorative justice thing is very interesting to me considering my situation. Um, So Marley, welcome to my podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for that introduction. And like I was saying before we started recording, like I'm so in awe of you and your story and all the work that you do. Thank you. I, like I said, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Um, She is a, like she said, she's a Sagittarius. So she is all over the place. Um, this girl travels the world. She was just in Costa Rica. Now she's in Mexico. And so again, thank you for taking your time to, to do this with us. Why don't you start by telling us your story and just kind of how you grew up and uh, how you got to where you are now? Yeah, thank you. Okay. It's always such a big question, but right? I can definitely <laughs> share. I think the, the biggest catalyst in my story was um an experience of rape that I had in 2016 and I was assaulted by someone who was a complete stranger to me and I had definitely had experiences of abuse before but for some reason I was always able to kind of like minimize them or deny them but with this I was like I just it was undeniable to me and it really sent me into like such a deep descent, um, like such a deep depression and PTSD. And I even considered taking my life at one point. Mm. And um, my, my healing process became kind of like do or die at that point. And I put everything like all of my energy into healing. Um, I went to therapy, like you heard my background, like I tried everything. Yeah. Um, And the more that I healed myself 
and studied social work and learned so much about the context of like rape culture and what men are taught within patriarchy and Mm -hmm. how objectification is so normalized in our world like it just became more and more strange to me to hold this narrative of like this is one bad seed like my assailant like I was like this is like part of something bigger and I was I just had so many unanswered questions um especially because I didn't know this person so yeah if you don't I mind feel- me asking can you so was it was your assault at a party or um, just kind of what happened with that yeah so I was in my college years my college days and it was basically like I went to a club and there was drinking involved which always makes for a messy court situation even though it mm-hmm. shouldn't um, yeah, shouldn't have anything to do with it, but unfortunately it does. It does, yeah. So um, basically it was like after a club situation and he okay. literally coincidentally, and this is pretty wild considering I'm from Toronto and it's a big, big city with so right. many different buildings, but coincidentally, like he lived in the same building as mm-hmm. my friend's place that I was sleeping at that night. And oh, wow. so basically what happened is like, I was leaving the club and I, and I was leaving the club saying like, wow, I feel really, really drunk. I'm like, I'm about to pass out and I just need to get to my friend's couch. And they, like one of them was already there because she had gotten sick earlier in the night. She was like, I'm going to go home. You guys stay. I'll meet you there. And uh, my other friend and I just like lost each other in the crowd. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just going to go. I know my friend's there. I tried calling her. She didn't answer. And um yeah, so I was like about to get in a Uber and he was like, where are you going? And I was like, to this condo. And he's like, what the heck? Like, that's where I live. And I was like, oh, that's like wild. Like, sure, we can split the fare. You can pay for it. And then obviously I was like in a cab with him. And that's when he started being really handsy and touchy. And mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of times that I was like, it just kept escalating. Like it just kept escalating. And I was like, I'm about to pass out right now. Like, do not touch me. <laughs> and it just mm-hmm. did not, he did not listen, obviously. And um, when we got to the actual building, like my friends just weren't answering the phone. I was like buzzing their apartment, calling them. And I was like, oh, I'm about to fall over. And he's like, well, you can lie down in my apartment. And this is the part where I wrestled with self blame so much. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, oh, so stupid of me. But I've done a lot of work to be like, Right. No, like, I mean, it doesn't um, really matter what the situation was, but yeah, I mean, you exactly. were just trying to find a safety in that moment. Exactly. So. so yeah, I basically got to his place and like, just like laid down on the couch and within like five seconds, he like pulled my pants down and I was like, no, like, I'm not like, do not touch me. And he just kept going. Eventually he like covered my mouth and just like, he kept saying it lasted like four or five hours as well and he kept saying it was very strange like he kept saying I'm so sorry this is so fucked I'm so sorry this is so fucked but continuing so wow so at this point were you were you because obviously you know you were drunk were you able to try to fight back or was it were you just too kind of gone that you didn't have much strength at that point I kept saying no and then eventually like my body just froze and I've read so much about that and heard so much about that that it really it really is like such a strong experience and I just like 
checked out, which again, like at the time I really judged myself for that. And now that I've done so much trauma work and healing and I work with women you disassociated from that. Now I'm like, okay, that was my body trying to keep me safe. So like, right. Yeah. So yeah. So long time. And then were you able to like, how did you escape or did you just get up? He did use like penetration and then he finished. And when he finished, he like ran, he went to the bathroom and he was in the bathroom for like a while, or at least it felt like a while. And I feel like I just remember lying on his, his like bed and just realizing like coming back to my body with the realization that it was getting light out. So I was like, holy Mm. shit, like it's been hours because the sun is freaking coming up. And just something Mm. about that, like brought me back to the moment. And I just like got up so fast, got myself so fast and just like ran out of the the place. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Did you call 911 right away or what happened with that? So I went back to where I was living and I actually like, I remember standing outside my really close friend slash roommate's door for so long. And I was like, Marley, you can knock now and tell her what happened or you probably won't tell anyone ever. Like it was this really clear voice. And after a while I knocked on the door and I told her and um, we, literally, we literally didn't know what to do. Like I'm pretty sure she Googled what to do when your friends raped. And um, the direction was like, go to the hospital, like go to the hospital. Yeah. Um, so that's what we did. And the nurses were understaffed. So I had to wait 24 hours for a rape kit. Don't shower, don't change. So that was obviously horrible. Um, And then I, and then I did, and then I went and I did the rape kit and that was obviously really, really hard. And that's when they were like, would you like to report? We can call a police officer. And I was like, "Uh, sure. And this is such a key moment to me because it was basically like, for, like, as it is for most of us, like you either report or you don't. Yeah. And there's no like third option in between no alternative right. option. Um, and I was like, well, I don't want nothing. And also like he lives in the same building as my friends and just like, I don't want nothing like that felt yeah. ridiculous to me. So I was like, okay, yes. And um, I'm sure you can relate to this. Like I had no idea what I was getting myself into in terms of like commitment, going to court. Like for me, it was three years of emotional trauma, emotional trauma. And it it wasn't until three years after going through the punitive system that I actually even learned about restorative justice. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. So tell us a little bit about that. So you went to court, like you said, it was a three, three year process for the whole court system. And what's the sentence? No. So, so I was like focusing on my healing so, so much. And after two years, we went to preliminary trial. Um, Mm -hmm. It might be different because I'm in Canada, but it also might be the same. Preliminary is basically like, do we have enough evidence to go to a criminal trial? So we never actually went to a criminal trial. We Mm -hmm. went to the prelim, which I hated. (laughs) Like I hated it. Just like, I was on the stand for like five hours being drilled with questions and he was just looking at the ground. That's the worst part of the, of the court system. I feel like is that re-traumatizing the victim and having them tell their story over again and then having their lawyer come and basically tear you apart. It's, 
it's horrible. It is so horrible. And it just didn't make any sense to me. Like I was like, and like you said, he's just sitting there looking down at you yeah. while you're the one that's on the stand being ridiculed. It was just so, I'm like, this is injustice. Like I don't, right. it wasn't making sense to me. And um, I also had like, I it really, I, I deemed it very delusional. So I didn't speak about it for a long time. But with close friends, I was like, in my world, I would like sit down with this person and ask them like, what the hell happened? Mm. Um, like what, like a, I've said this a lot in interviews, like what happened between the time a baby was born and a perpetrator was made? Yep. And um, it just like, I had so Make many them questions. think, why is this okay? Exactly. I wanted accountability. I wanted him, I wanted to like see that he was remorseful. Um, so this was so opposite from what the court was, was giving me. And a year after the prelim, uh, I got subpoenaed for the criminal trial. And that's when I was like, to be honest, I might just drop the charges because I don't want to go back to court. I don't see how this is going to like help anyone. And in his, in his case, and I think a lot of cases like incarceration can make things so much worse. So I'm like, even if it's a win, and he does get incarcerated, like, I don't see that being the route that makes him a better, safer person. Um, so for me, I was like, I don't get this. Like, I want to drop the charges. Yeah. So I have a question. So in my situation, when that would happen, it was pure, like evil, like he's an evil person with your yeah. guy. Do you feel like you, you could tell that wasn't necessarily full evil, right? Like how, what made you want to even give him a second chance in life and not automatically be like, no, he deserves to suffer basically. Yeah. I think it's a combination of things. I definitely think there's situations where this would not work for story right. of justice. Um, and I hear like in your case, like it probably wouldn't work. Right. Um, but for my assailant, I, I think it's a combination of my own worldviews, like my own, like awareness of context and then also the fact that he and maybe this could be deemed delusional or naive but I really felt that he was having some internal struggle when he was like I'm sorry this is so fucked and he'd like stop for a second and then he'd continue and it's almost like he was like having this push-pull dialogue in himself of like of like actually doing this um, that's and, interesting to me yeah. because so, um, the whole reason why I say this is because I have a couple incidents that I remember where after my stepfather would do what he do, he would cry and tell me how sorry he was and give, you know, be like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But then obviously it would happen again the next day or whatever. So that is something that because I was the only one there, obviously I'm the only one that really knows that and saw that. I do remember being like, okay, I think he's genuinely sorry. But then I would also see his eyes change and see him change as a person whenever, whenever these things would happen. So that's, that's just really interesting to me how you noticed that too. You saw that with your assignment. Yeah, definitely. And um, it really confused me at first because I always had this image and idea that it was more black and white. Like right. someone who rapes is a monster, period. Right. But I was like, this is a guy who seems really confused and like he really needs help. And like, he's like, just like, I don't know, like traumatized to a degree of, of transforming, like, yeah, transferring that. 
-hmm. Yeah. So I, by no means do I minimize rape. And like, I think a lot of people hear my story and they're like, Oh, like she's just sitting in a circle with this guy. Like, no, no, (laughs) this was like one of the most painful experiences of my life. And, um, I just think that, well, yeah, I can back up a little too. Like, I just think that rape is so bad that we have to acknowledge that what we're doing isn't working. Like rates of sexual assault are not declining. And so when I got that subpoena, I was about to drop the charges. And that's when I said to one friend one more time, like in my world, this is what would happen. And she said to me, so make it happen. And it was just like such a fire under my ass. I was like, oh, I've never considered actually acting on what I want here in terms of justice and closure. And so when she said that, I started researching and everything. And that's when I found restorative justice. And I was like, wow, this is what I've been asking for that I didn't have the name for. And and it's been done for so long, like indigenous Mm -hmm. communities, Jewish communities, like Mennonite communities, like they've been doing this for so long. And basically restorative justice just means that we focus more on repair than punishment. Yeah. So the beauty of that is the survivor is centered right away. Instead of saying, what do we do with this? perpetrator it's like survivor you were harmed what do you need Mm. and I just think that is amazing and like gives us Mm. a sense of power back that we deserve and need Mm -hmm. um so I found out about it and I basically like found a lawyer who um would advocate for me and luckily like legal aid was able to cover that and we called a meeting with the prosecutors and said we don't want to proceed to criminal trial. We want to do restorative justice. And they were like, this has never been done in this through the courts in North America. So they were like, uh, are you okay? Like, do you have Stockholm syndrome? What's going on? Like, what do you mean through the courts? Like for them to make it like part of his, like basically like his sentence is to make him do it or do people normally do it on their own? Like, what, what does that mean? It's, it's, um, like it's happened before in like, indigenous communities for example in a way that it never actually like is touched by the the judicial system they're not Um, involved at all so like it goes around or in smaller communities but to actually like have the court approve mandate and set it up has never happened so yeah it was a very interesting meeting where they were like you know with the me too movement like people want to see rapists locked up for longer amounts of time and I was like so you're using the Me Too movement to silence the voice of a survivor. Right, yeah. Okay. Um, There's a so, few things I have a problem with with that, just with that oh Me Too movement because of situations like this. So I'm, I'm glad that you're kind of on the same page because yeah, there's a few things that I'm like, wait, I get the point of it, but then at the same time, I feel like it's it's changed a lot of a lot of things. it has so. even the founder like Taryn and Burke like she's even yeah. been like I don't recognize this movement anymore this is not right. what I yeah made. she just started a new movement actually so right yeah yeah so exactly okay. so then it was kind of like two prosecutors began fighting for my case and one of them was like rape equals bad bad equals prison we are not open to restorative justice and the other one was like I've been a prosecutor for 20 years. I've seen victims get re-traumatized on the stand again and again and again. And I've seen perpetrators either get acquitted most of the time or they get 
um, sentenced with incarceration and they so often reoffend. So she's like, this isn't working. Yes, to trying something new. So they were kind of like battling it out for my case for like a month and I had no idea what's going on. And then eventually my lawyer called me and he was like, we got a yes from, from a judge. Like one of the, pros- the prosecutor who was like for it, just like went to the judge and made it happen. And he was like, your assailant is going to start therapy right away. And when he's ready and when you're ready, you're going to meet in a mediated circle. So and, will you explain yeah. the restorative justice, um, kind of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the plan, like how does this whole process work? So he so, has to go to therapy? Yeah. So it's not always the same. Like, like I said, restorative justice is just like, we're focusing on repair. So interventions that focus on repair and incarceration as a last resort, that's okay. what restorative justice does. So it can look so many different ways. But for my case, it was like, he's going to therapy for six months and then we're meeting in this circle and we'll see how it goes from there and um this like this might sound like dramatic or something but getting that call was like the most healing beautiful moment of my life because it was like the first time the first time that my voice was being heard and and honored and the system was like we're gonna listen to you and just I was that alone I was like wow this is all like all I've wanted and like holy shit I've been heard exactly I love that that that's an amazing feeling yeah and so and then him starting therapy like I was like yes this is a person who I feel has just like like totally I don't know like lost themselves and trauma and conditioning and so much shit and like he needs help like he needs help so that he doesn't do this again. And knowing mm-hmm. that he was going to therapy, learning about consent culture, like unlearning patriarchy and rape culture, like learning how to respect women, like that meant so much to me. I was like, good, yeah. like good. Can can we sign up all men for this class? Just can this just be like a normal <laughs> grade school class and high school class? Like, why is this just not a normal like etiquette class? <sighs> like you can take a class yeah. in England and other countries to teach you how to eat properly with four forks but yet you can't get a class that's going to teach you know women and men the respect of each other and those type of boundaries and all of that like I just that's one of the things that I would love to put in the school system one day is just kind of that just the respect issue of of the opposite sex and so I love I love that I love that. I'm like, please do that. And and I know we (laughs) talked about collaboration. I'm just like, I feel like, I feel like (laughs) to the list for sure. Like, I think this should be essential. And that's such a big reason why I do what I do now. Cause I'm like, everyone needs this education and information. Um, so yeah, he started therapy and I, I, yeah, I just felt heard. And then about like six months later, we met in a restorative justice circle. What's the, who's in the circle? So a beautiful aspect of restorative justice too, is that it is community oriented. So it acknowledges mm-hmm. that when a trauma happens, many people are impacted, right? Like right. my mom's life was changed. My sister's life was changed. So both of them were actually in the circle as mm-hmm. someone impacted, So they were also able to get justice, to get closure, to be heard. Um, So my mom, my sister, myself, um, my lawyer, the prosecutor who advocated for me, who's now like 
a sister that I hang out with and call um, and plan the revolution with like (laughs) amazing um my assailant and his friend and two mediators okay yeah and um okay yeah tell us about that about the the circle so it was obviously very intense and again I'll just reiterate like I had met this person during assault once in court and then in this mediation um so it was intense and as much as my like self that had done so much healing was like this is empowering like this is for me this is for my healing like all this stuff my like traumatized subconscious like inner child self was like oh like shaking yeah yeah I can't even imagine yeah and um basically it was beautiful in that the mediators did everything they could to create a safe space they even like met with each of us one-to-one before and said like what are your fears what do you want out of this like how can we make this feel safe which just the contrast between that and a courtroom like oh that level like night and day night exactly (laughs) exactly night and day and um they basically, the mediators asked us one question, which was what brought you here today? And we took eight hours going around the circle, um, which people are often like, that sounds horrible, but I needed it to be eight hours. Yeah. No, that's like, definitely I something I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine doing something like that. And it's like, you know, you've got a time limit, an hour, hour and a half. Like, no, no, no. Eight hours is like, perfect because it's literally enough time to I mean that's a lot to process and take in and emotions to go through and especially if you're trying to do the you know whole forgiving aspect of it and all that like you got to be able to feel it all all the emotions you know so yeah I think yeah eight hours sounds like a long time but also knowing the situation and being in knowing how that process works like I definitely think eight, eight hours is it could have been longer I'm sure exactly yeah so it started off really hard and I feel like the first few hours were like purging out the shit like voicing the grief like voicing the anger um the confusion like asking the questions I needed to ask like all these things and then it did get to this place of like actually hearing what I I didn't even realize I needed to hear that much and just like seeing him shed tears of remorse like that meant so much I know again like some people might be like that sounds so minimal but it is what I needed um and like having him look me in the eye and say like I'm so sorry I sexually assaulted you there's nothing I can do to take it back and I hope that being here today can help and when he said that I literally physically felt a knot in my stomach untie and I just started like bawling, like a relief. Yeah, it was like uh, so powerful. That makes me emotional just thinking about it because yeah, sorry. I'm just, I'm just trying to process that because that's a, that's a lot. That's, I mean, huge of you to even put yourself in that situation. But the fact that you've been, that you were able to give him grace, even after what happened and what he did to you and Wow. I just, I just commend that a lot for you and, and for him, but I, I just can't even like, it's literally get, like making me like emotional because I, I know that feeling of not having that closure and yeah. not getting that apology and not getting that. And so to get that, 
can only like, that's like a dream for me to like be able, you know, I've gone to court a couple times against my um, old stepfather and every time they've given him the opportunity to say something. And unfortunately he never, he always has nothing to say. And that's the part that sucks for me is I'll never get that closure. And so for you to hear people like you go through this and have that is I think incredible. And I can't, I mean, that is just a whole other side of healing. And that honestly, like doing something like that for me back in the day, or I would have heard those words, I think would have helped my healing 10 years ago instead of where I am now at 31 years old and had just gotten to this other side, you know? So I, I think that is, that sounds beautiful. It sounds intense. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you, after everything happened, was it, tell me, explain like kind of that self of closure afterwards and mm. how you kind of continue to heal afterwards. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really do wish that this was possible for everyone who wanted it and needed it. Right. And, uh, there are some beautiful weight, like, like restorative justice interventions that even will use like a stand-in or um, someone who, like, you could even do a circle process with someone who had been, like, tr- like they had perpetrated a similar crime to someone else, and now they're like participating in circles as a stand-in to, oh, like, okay. yeah. So there's some pretty amazing like interventions, but I do. See, feel, and I had never really yeah. heard of restorative justice until this last year when I interviewed somebody named Brittany Piper, and she told that was that was part of her plan she hasn't done it yet she ended up having a baby so she hasn't done it yet but that's what she talked about and I honestly considering I've been in this field for 11 or so years I hadn't really heard of that like I have heard of the few things of like people going and talking to their um perpetrator in, in prison or whatever the situation is and kind of or writing him a letter or those type of things but with what you just explained I never had really heard of that before so that's yeah. that's it's a totally new experience for me to even hear. Yeah, I think it is for most people. And this is one of the reasons why I've chosen to be so loud about it. Cause I'm like, everyone yeah. needs to know, like, and um, exactly. So honestly, like that circle experience by the end of it, I was like, I'm so fucking powerful. Like I feel so empowered. Like I can do anything. Like Ugh. I can face this person. Like I just had that sense of like, I really let something go in that you literally you went face to face with the darkest thing that you could have ever gone against like literally someone's worst nightmare and you faced it like head on and I think then that is just freaking incredible and that feeling of empowerment I again can't imagine how amazing that felt oh thank you like yeah so incredible and um I just left that room feeling like lighter and I was like holy shit like people need to know about this I've Mm -hmm. never ever 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 seen or heard of a survivor leaving a courtroom feeling empowered and lighter than when they went in maybe it's happened but I haven't seen it yeah and um I just yeah I was like so mind blown by this and so anytime I talked to it to someone about it they were like you need to share this with the world and so I kept doing my own healing and my own like empowerment work to be able to be so loud about it and I started emailing the media and basically a publication ban was lifted like a month after the circle and um 
there were six articles that came out on one day. It was like, oh, wow, BuzzFeed, like some really big um, platforms, like it's been shared in Forbes, like big platforms. And so once that happened, it was like all at once. Like I got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails from survivors, got tons of interview requests, like a documentary filmmaker approached me. Um, Eventually I like signed a con, like the story's being made into a Hollywood miniseries. Like, oh wow. So So it it is, is, they're going to make a miniseries on it then? Yeah. Cool. And um, the biggest part for me so I was already like leading retreats about self-love and teaching yoga. Like I was already on that path. Um, and women just started messaging me being like, how do I reclaim my sexuality? How do I feel like sexually empowered? And I just was like, I'm going to claim this. Like, I'm going to claim that this is my life's work. Um, got a business coach, like started doing all this stuff and officially launched a coaching business um, almost like about a year ago. And it's been like the dreamiest, dreamiest, dreamiest work ever. Like I get to work with women every single day who are transforming shame and trauma into like empowerment and learning to love our bodies and like be like in full embodied presence and not dissociation Mm. and um, to meet our intimacy as like healing and empowering. And it's just I just love it so much and I'm doing it my way and it just feels so good. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So, so other than the coaching, what do you do now to kind of stay, like, what have you done to stay on the right path of your healing and continue to kind of not go, not be triggered and go down those roads or when you are triggered, like, how do you deal with it? It's really interesting because if you remember, like I was saying after trauma, my healing was kind of do or die. And it was Mm -hmm. like, I had to go to therapy. I had to do that stuff in order to be okay. And then at some point it just became part of my day to day. Like it's no longer like I do that stuff cause I'll be in crisis without it. But it's like, cause I love it. Cause I met my communities there, all these things. Um, So I'm just like committed to always having someone support me. Like I came out as lesbian two months ago. Yeah. And right when I did that, I found myself like a coach who's all about like self-love related to sexual orientation. Like I'm just so like, I see the places that I need healing and help. And I like know that people out there are doing that work and I lean into those resources and I've been mm-hmm. blessed AF financially to have had my coaching business like take off um I'm making way more money than I did when I was like trying to work within someone else's model of like mm-hmm. healing and stuff so yeah I just I make it part of my everyday and it's also such a beautiful motive that like I know when I take better care of myself, I'll show up as a better coach. Yeah. So it it makes me like so committed to that self-care. And like every other human, I definitely have moments of like triggers or cycles of feeling shitty or unsafe or whatever. And I feel like I'm able to give myself so much compassion in those spaces to just be like Mm -hmm. it's okay like you're a human it's normal to feel everything it's normal to cycle it's normal to get triggered when you feel unsafe I even feel like a lot of gratitude for those triggers because I know that they're trying to keep me safe like if my body's freaking out it's because I need something like a different environment or 
you know, so I, mm-hmm. I've really like reframed and reclaimed all of that. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Like you said, I think I always say this to my clients and stuff as well. And healing is a lifelong journey. It's not something where you go to healing, you go to therapy, you do this and that for a year and then you're good the rest of your life. Like you said, it's continuous work. And I still have to see a therapist. I take an antidepressant. I do the things that I need to do to take care of me, even though I know I'm in a different place and this is what I do for work now and I help others, but there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying I continue to get therapy. I think therapy should be essential for everybody in, you know, in some way or form or another. Um, but especially anyone who's been through any type of trauma, because like you said, there's times when it will cycle through and you get triggered and, you know, things that you don't have control of and that's okay. And I always say, you have to feel it to heal through it. And you have to let yourself feel that and go through all of that. And then be like, okay, I felt it for a couple of days. Like I let myself, I allowed myself to feel it, but now I'm ready to get up and take control again. And like, you know, be a fighter and keep going. So yeah, I love that you do that because I think it's just so important for a life, for a lifelong journey of healing. Yeah, exactly. I love that. That's exactly it. It's like, give ourselves that moment to be in the shit. And then at some point, like put on Christina Aguilera, yeah. powder, get up, keep going. Like, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. So, um, with your, your sexuality and all of that, and then your sensuality, can you kind of give us some pointers of how you have come to terms with that and come to, like I told you before we got on is that's something that I am still working with is, you know, I've been with my husband for 14 years. And so that aspect of it is safe. Like he's my safe space and there's no problem with that, but it's the little things that sometimes trigger you. Sometimes it's the way you're touched. Sometimes it's the way, you know, something like that. How do you get through those moments when you're having any type of triggers during sexual encounters or anything like that and then how do you um give yourself that permission in your body that permission to kind of to be okay with feeling it you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it's such a huge question and it's such a huge process like like we've been Mm -hmm. saying like healing is not just like wave a wand and then all of a sudden you're good so it's definitely a big process and um I would love to share like before at the end, like some resources and some offerings that I have for people to actually dive into that healing. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is for me, I started approaching my sexuality and sensuality, every single aspect of it as an opportunity for healing. And it was mm-hmm. like, because this is the thing that has hurt me the most, that means there's the most healing available to me here. And so even like just a sense of reverence for my own body and my sexuality and like even making self-pleasure, like a meditation practice where I'm like, this is a symbol of me reclaiming my body and my right to pleasure. And even just like setting an intention like that before a really powerful, if, if people are listening or whoever are someone who has a partner or partners you can even just like share your fears, your desires, your intentions before mm-hmm. you're intimate. And even just that acknowledges that it's something deeper. It's not something where you're putting your like emotional stuff on pause in order to experience pleasure. It's like, wow, I know I'm going to process my emotional stuff through this intimacy. Work through it together while you're doing that. Yeah, exactly. So just like really making your sexuality like a healing space and the same way that we might 
maybe people like connect with meditation and they're like, wow, meditation is my safe space. It's where I come back to my body, where I process, like, that's what I made sexuality for myself. And, um, like one more thing I'll say is like, one of the best things we can do for ourselves is drop the goal, like drop any goal of orgasm. Like, don't make it about that. Make it about like moment to moment to moment healing. Wow. Like what, what a thing to celebrate. If you were able to stay in your body, if you were able to breathe into your belly, if you were able to not worry about what you look like, if you're able to just like be present, if you're able to enjoy and feel safe, like those are all huge things to celebrate. But so often we're like, oh, well, I didn't climax or whatever. Right. And we'll stuck like, in our head. Right. Exactly. So just approaching it as a healing space. And I think that like, cause it's such a primal and in the body thing, like pleasure and intimacy and sexuality. I think it's also one of the most powerful ways we can heal. Cause it's really yeah. like, it's, it's also where we come from. Like it's how we were mm-hmm. created and born. So just, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I want to, you know, next time you have a little workshop or something, I would love to attend that. Cause I think that that, like you said, that's such a big part of someone's healing. And I would love to learn more about that. Yeah. Um, when you, after everything happened and you were at, you know, right after you were assaulted and everything, did it take a while for you to figure this out? Like to figure out how to like allow yourself to be sexual again and allow yourself to kind of be open to that. Um, were you kind of ever like embarrassed or ashamed of like sexuality or have, explain a yeah. little bit about that? I feel like I, that was the biggest thing that broke for me and I felt completely shut down. Like I felt like I had no sexuality and I was like terrified of intimacy and all these things. And then, you know what it was like? It was like, um, you know, when people get in a car accident and they say like, you should get behind the wheel. Otherwise, like you'll never drive again because you'll get scared. That in a gentle way, it's kind of how I reunited with first just self-pleasure. Like I was not ready Mm. to be with anyone else, but just like, right self-pleasure in my own body and being like okay this is about me overcoming fear and because I almost see it as like I had a first sexual foundation that was so rooted in rape culture and non-consent and pain and I felt like it got like totally smashed like crumbled to the ground for this experience and I was Mm -hmm. like the second time around like this time around I'm doing it in like my a way. loving way I'm not rushing myself I'm not crossing my own boundaries I'm learning mm-hmm. about what I actually want and I'm following that and I was just so committed to my healing and to making it part of my healing that um it really became like yeah my healing practice and then eventually I was just like wow I feel more empowered in my <laughs> sexuality than ever like how did that happen and it's like well that's that is how it happened but I really did get to that place of like wow even like like I'm way more connected to my body, to my sexuality than I was even before assault. And wow. I just think that that is possible for all of us. And like, because we felt that pain, we know how important like respecting our bodies is and all, all of these things. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's beautiful. I love that. If you could pinpoint one thing that you said, like to give advice to somebody who's listening, who maybe has recently gone through this, what's the the I guess the main thing that you that helped you go through your healing journey like just you know whether that's just therapy or whether you know what was the one thing that helped you kind of 
get to that other side? Definitely therapy was huge. I guess what I feel called to say though, is like validate what you want and what you're feeling (laughs) because like, I know for me, I invalidated those wants that I had around justice and closure for so long that I didn't act on them. And I know there's so many people that think there's something wrong with them if they're not doing it a certain way. And no two healing paths are exactly alike. Right. So whatever you need and whatever you're called towards, like, validate that and, and see how you can make it happen. See how you can be supported in that. I love that. And yeah, what about the support system? Do you, you know, do you talk to your family about this? Do you, what do you recommend on how to basically not go through this journey on your own? So something I'll share, um, because I do have to go in like two minutes, something I'll share is um, that I'm actually in the next few days launching a membership platform called the Central Mm. Queendom. And it's all about everything we're talking about, like turning trauma and shame into such beautiful empowerment. And really importantly, like sisterhood support, connecting with women all over the world, like solidarity, um, I think is so key. Survivor solidarity is so key. Um, so this is my most accessible offering ever. It's like less than a dollar a day. And there's going to be tons of content and like guest interviews. I'd love to bring you in. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and when, how long did this last? It's like for life. It's for life. Oh, it's like as long as I want it to last, (laughs) but I picture it lasting like years and years. So it's like a, a monthly membership that you can just pay for. You can even have it as an app. And uh, I'm sharing like all the tools that helped me not just survive, but thrive and all the tools that I share with my clients. And I'm just very excited about the accessibility piece because I know that it's so needed. Absolutely. Yeah. I just started, started a course program. Um, I start actually March 10th. So next Tuesday, um, is my course and it's called finding purpose in your trauma. And that's what we're working on. And that's where I want to bring you in as well, you know, to, to talk to people and just how to get back in touch with your sensuality and all of that. So I love everything that you taught us today. Um, Marley and I are planning on doing some, some things together in the future. So stay tuned. We're still trying to figure out what necessarily that's going to be. Um, but we both are both have very similar visions of things and we're both kind of working on the same thing and the same path. And so I'm so glad and feel, I feel so connected to you. And I just am super happy that we um, have been able to connect. And I love that you did this interview with me. So thank you so, so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I'll just say to the listeners, like, if you feel called to connect with me, um, just follow me on Instagram at Marley. And uh, I'm a human. So like, say hi, reach out, tell me how you felt listening to this. And the membership is thecentralqueendom.com. And all women identified humans are welcome and loved. How much will that be a month? Um, 33 a month, but even like 279 annually. So that breaks down to like less than a dollar a day. That's awesome. Okay. So yeah, you can find Marley on Marley list. That's M-A-R-L-E-E-L-I-S-S. Um, or she has a website, which is marleylist.com. So you can find more of her course and everything else on there. Marley, thank you so, so much for being here. I loved everything about this. You guys make sure you're following Candle in a Dark Room and we will talk to you guys next time. 